You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Let's turn our hearts now to hearing the word of the Lord in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 23. This is the story of the rich young ruler. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. This is God's word. Thank you, Pastor. We are continuing with a series called Encounters, and uh, these are all situations within Scripture where an individual or a few people uh, encounter Jesus in some way, and there's generally some type of dialogue and some type of response that occurs, and we're looking at how these speak to us today in a very relevant way. And today is this story of the rich young ruler, okay? Now, uh, before, let, let me preface this sermon today uh, by saying to you that everyone in this room, regardless of your place, our status, our situation in life, you are an extremely rich person. Overall, if you look at the entire world and start to make comparisons, you are a wealthy person, okay? And here's the, here's the sort of the, the trap for you and I as Americans is we've been raised to be comparative. We've been raised to make comparisons about everything in life. And so we tend to look at one another in some sort of comparative kind of way. And oftentimes that happens through the process of evaluating what one has and what one doesn't have. And we look at those who have less than we do, and we look at those who have more than we do. And we sort of put ourselves or pigeonhole ourselves in some place relative to the people that we are seeing around us. Let me put this in a different perspective for you because all of us are looking at other people and saying, well, I guess I have a little more than they do. But then we always turn and look at someone else and say, but they have more than I do. So I'm not at the top, okay? Uh, I was told once about a situation in a church where the church was a, a, a nice-sized, medium-sized church a wealthier church. Uh, the people who attended the church were affluent people. Oftentimes when they came to church on Sunday morning, they wore their very best clothes, uh, oftentimes their very best designer jackets and, and labels and their very best handbags, and uh, they often had a lot of jewelry that uh, they wore uh, as accessories. Uh, this church brought uh, a pastor uh, from Africa over to speak into their church, and they wanted to bring him because they wanted him to, to be able to help people to see the need in Africa, and so they were going to utilize him to be able to, to, to garner more support. And uh, so he shared uh, what he had to share, and then there was a Q&A. Uh, and uh, when the Q&A was announced, one lady raised her hand, and uh, she said, so tell me, like, what is... What is so starkly different about here, having come here for the first time, and 
the world that you live in over there. And immediately, without a blink of an eye, he said, the most amazing thing to me here is as I look around, I see all of you wearing schools, hospitals, and orphanages on your fingers and over your shoulders and on your arms. Ouch. Ouch. Sometimes we don't realize how much God has given to us. And in doing so, sometimes I think we don't realize how much God is asking of us. And so we find ourselves looking at this encounter today of the rich young ruler and seeing here this, this conversation, if you will, that is happening between this young man and between Jesus. So let's just kind of look at this for just a little bit and let's see what we can pull from this today. I am going to challenge you today, all right? Not that I didn't challenge you last week or, or the week before. I try to challenge you every time I stand before you. Um, it challenges me when I'm, when I'm speaking to you. Uh, so I, this is, this, I think this was a, I, I really do think it was a compliment to me, but someone told me a few weeks back, they said, you know, you have a unique way of like, it's almost like you take a sword and like you just stick it in us. And then you just take it out and wipe it off. And then you smile. And it's like you're saying, it's going to be all right. <laughs> I really believe that was a compliment. I'm not sure, but I think it was. Well, I'm here to challenge you and I because the scriptures need to challenge us. And we need to be woken up. We need to be shaken a bit. We need to be, be confronted oftentimes because we settle in and we get very comfortable and we like our lives the way we like them and we make our world our own little world and we yet claim to be those who are in the kingdom of God. And so we have to live under that lordship. So let's look at this just a little bit. This passage that David read to you today can be a troubling one, all right? It was troubling for the disciples. They didn't quite understand, and they had questions here. How can anybody be saved after Jesus met this young man and confronted him? This wealthy young ruler had some real issues with what Jesus said to him. And I think if we look at it right, it's going to trouble us a little bit, all right? And it needs to. It needs to cause us to look at our own heart and see where we really are, all right? And this is the beauty of Jesus a lot of times. And this is what I, I love about some of these encounters with Jesus. Did you feel that love go out then? It just echoed to you, didn't it? Yeah, just like a sound over the ocean. All right, all of you felt it. Um, Jesus is pointed all right, and, and we, we sometimes like a, a more moderate kind of approach, you know. We like a, a gentle kind of uh, coming to us or a confrontation that is on the weaker side so that we can kind of, you know, navigate through it and not feel like it's, you know, it, it's, it's really hitting us hard. Jesus doesn't do it that way, you know. Jesus just, he just goes right in there, all right. And, and so here we have this place where it's, it's really like unvarnished, it's undiluted, it's unmistakable, it's the truth. And Jesus just gets right in this young man's world and goes right to the heart of the matter. Now, in, in Luke's gospel here, this is kind of, uh, as far as context, this is, is, is kind of placed at the, the, uh, the sort of the incidents and the parables uh, there are a group of them here, and they're kind of, if you really look at them as a whole, they're kind of designed uh, to indicate sort of what our character is to be in discipleship. This is how we are supposed to live out 
our discipleship. And, and, you know, we talk about discipleship around here a lot. Pastor Dave talks about discipleship all the time, all right? Now, some of you think he talks about it a lot to you. You should be in an office with him all day long, all right? He talks discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. And some of us, I think, get the idea that when we are talking about discipleship and we're talking to you about discipleship and we're calling you to make disciples, that you've got this idea that it's this thing where, okay, I got to go to the church. We're going to meet at the church. We're going to go walking around the neighborhood. I got to knock on some door and I got to tell somebody about Jesus. You're not Mormons and you're not Jehovah's Witnesses. That's not what we do. That is something that happens in the context of discipleship. But my friend, discipleship is about making you more like Jesus. And so much so that you would desire to make someone else more like Jesus. And that you would walk it together with one another. But in that process, we're going to call all of you to go out and to be sent out as Jesus called all of his disciples to go out and to be sent out. And so we have here a young man who is in some way feeling like there is something lacking in his life. There's something that's just not right. And as we look at him, we're going to find out that there was a whole lot by our standards, especially the American standard, that seems to be really right about this young man. Yet deep down inside of himself, he is realizing and feeling that there is something more that I need here. There's something that's just not quite guided all here. And so he runs up, one of the gospels says, to Jesus and literally sort of like falls in front of Jesus. He he falls to his knees in front of him and he begins to ask Jesus this question. And he starts by acknowledging him and says, good teacher, good teacher. Now, now some translations call it um, uh, uh, rabbi maybe or whatever, but he's, he's, he's trying to give him some kind of, of label that, that shows respect, that shows honor, all right? And this young man, it, it seems to be a, some type of ruler. He has some type of authority himself. He has some position, if you will, all right? Now, generally someone who, who has this kind of authority that this young man is labeling Jesus to have isn't lordship, it's just an administrative authority. In other words, he can tell a few people what to do. He can give some direction. He can help people move in a certain direction or progress in a certain way. And it's oftentimes used in the context here where we have it in, in, in uh, the, the life of Jesus where Jewish leaders or, or people in the synagogue or in the Sanhedrin, they would be labeled this way. So when he's talking to Jesus here and he comes to him, it is a, a respect. There is an honor here where he says, he says you're, a, you're a ruler, you're a teacher, you're a leader. But he doesn't say you're Lord. And I want you to understand that. Matthew's account adds another detail and references um, this ruler, this young man, um, as just that, a, a, a relatively young man, all right? Now, we get this idea in our heads sometimes when we read the story. It's like, this is like a, this is like a young 20-something millennial, you know? This is just a guy who somehow has come into some wealth, and he really doesn't know what's going on here, and he's trying to figure it all out, and so he comes to Jesus. But this particular man, as a young man could possibly be as much as 40 years of age. 
He's in that middle 20 somewhere up to about 40. So he's, he's generally young for the level of wealth that he possesses and the sphere of influence that he has. And so he stands out a bit, all right? He's not the average guy who just sort of fits in or fades back into the shadows, so to speak. When this man walks around, it's obvious that he's dressed really well. It's obvious that he has this uh, certain amount of wealth. He is a, he's a standout sort of guy here, all right? And, and Luke's verse 23 actually is telling us, um, if, if you delved into the Greek, that he's a man of actually great wealth, all right? And, and, and that terminology there means that, that as far as it pertains to this particular person, he has an abundance of earthly possessions that exceeds the normal experiences of life. In other words, he's got everything he needs and then he's got a lot of toys. He's got a lot of stuff. He's, he's managing a whole lot of things that a lot of other people are just looking at and going, wow, I wish I was that guy. I wish I had what he had. I wonder how he got all of that. So there's actually oftentimes probably following this man around a little bit of scuttlebutt. There's a little bit of talk behind his back. There's people who are saying, hey, I wonder, I wonder where that young man got all of that. How did he get that? What happened? And we don't really know the answer to that. It could be very well, especially if you study the wording out a little bit more, that he inherited this at a very young age, okay? But either way, this is a man of, of propriety. This is a man who has uh, uh, a sense not only of wealth but of influence, he has a name, he has a reputation, if you will. And he's wearing these very nice clothes. He's probably very immaculately groomed, if you will. And he finds himself in front of Jesus, and he's kneeling in the dirt there in front of Jesus along the roadside at the edge of the town with this burning question in his heart. The, the idea here is that he ran to Jesus, and he just fell before him. And if we understand the context, Jesus has gotten up to depart. So Jesus is actually leaving this particular village or community. He's heading out. And this is a one last ditch effort on this man's part. He waited till the last moment to ask Jesus. And he runs to him. Okay, okay, good ruler, good man, good teacher. Listen, I have a question for you. What must I do? to inherit, to get this eternal life. And this is, this is a bit telling of this man here because he is wealthy, he is also religious, and, and he's speaking to Jesus, and he's, he's asking, what's the, what's the one thing? Like, like, what he's really saying is, I've done everything I've been told to do. I've done everything I know to do. I've done everything that's been required of me. I just want to make sure. What's the one thing that I need to do to get eternal life, to inherit it, to, to be able to inherit it? In other words, for someone to give it to me, what do I have to do? It's quite possible to get his wealth. All he had to do was to be one wealthy man's son. And he got it. He got it on that particular day. 
And he's looking at Jesus and saying, okay, now, I want to inherit this eternal thing. You know, he's not a Sadducee. Obviously, he's, he's more of, of the, the, the side of the Pharisees because he, he actually believes that there is eternal life. And so he's saying, all right, I, I believe that there is life beyond here. Now, I want you to tell me what is that one thing that's going to seal the deal, put the cap on it, make me okay, so that I can just go on my way, I can continue to do what I'm doing, I can enjoy my wealth, I can enjoy my position, I can enjoy what I'm doing, the waters don't get troubled for me, I'm going to be okay, and I got it. So I'll sleep tonight knowing I'm completely and totally 100% done and taken care of. And you know what, guys? That's how we want to find it, isn't it? We want to just wrap it up. We want to just take care of it, wash our hands clean of it, and say it's done. All right, now I can go on and live this life I want to live. And so we, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, Jesus, I want this lordship thing, and I'd like for you to put it in a little box for me, and I want you to package it up real well, and I'm going to put it on a shelf. And then I can take it out whenever I want to and utilize it to my advantage. But in the meantime, while that lordship is over there on the shelf, I'm over here having a good time. I'm doing it. I got it. I can keep going my way. And see, when I'm over here and lordship is over there, guess what I do? I do what I want to do because I don't have lordship. And so this young man is saying, hey, teacher, hey, good man, I want you to tell me what I got to do, and I want to seal this deal. Now, obviously, he probably is feeling in some way inadequate spiritually. He's not seeing that everything is done. He has some doubt. He has some question, possibly. He still believes, obviously, that there is eternal life, and he has some kind of belief that one merits that by what he does, all right? And this is not uncommon. You and I find this. I find this with people all the time right here in our neighborhood, in Sioux Falls, in my own family dynamics, all right? There are people in this community who you could probably go up to them and they will have a similar belief, all right? You go to heaven if you do good. You go to hell if you do bad. Well, if you do something really bad. And that's the way we live. We live out of this doing. We live out of this merit, if you will. And, and so this young man's question is sort of betraying his own confidence and his own skill level and his own ability because he doesn't have a good understanding spiritually of the fact or the lack of the ability for good deeds to save him. And yet there's a part of him that's trying to make sure it will. Like, I've done all this. I, I, I've done so much. But I'm not sure, good man. So tell me, is there something else? It takes us back to Isaiah uh, chapter 64. And Isaiah says, all of our righteousness, meaning our good works, our righteousness. See, you can work all day, but you will never make yourself righteous. You will only be self-righteous. Because only Jesus can make you righteous by what he's already done. And so you can work your bones off. 
And it's not going to help you to become a righteous individual. And so Isaiah nails us in the Old Testament. All of our righteousness is just filthiness in the end. It's no, it's no good. It's not going to help us. We can't escape through our own efforts and our own merit. And somehow that has escaped this young man. And he is saying, I just want to know the formula. I remember listening to someone once who came into a room where we were having a, a study and this person sat down on a chair and they just blurted out and said, okay, I just want to know what the rules are. In other words, I just want to know what I got to do and I just want to know what I ain't got to do. That's, now I'll be all right. I just need to know. And that's really what this young man is saying. I just need to know what the rule is, all right? I think he's sincere in in his own superficial kind of way. He addresses Jesus as this, this good teacher. But see, at that moment, this is where Jesus is is like unvarnished and and straight in and, and doesn't sugarcoat anything. And he looks at this young man and he says, he says, no one's good. Why are, you, why are you calling me good? No one's good but God alone. And you see, this young man is not understanding. He can't understand anything that Jesus is telling him at this point because he cannot grasp yet that your standard of goodness, whatever that is, cannot save you. And here's what I want you to understand. If you cannot understand that your own goodness cannot save you, you will never understand that God's absolute goodness is exactly what will save you. There's a twofold revelation here. I can't save myself, but that alone is a harsh dilemma. The reality is I cannot save myself, but God has saved me through his son, Jesus Christ. And here this young man has the Savior right here in front of him. Let's recall for just a moment, a few Sundays back, we had a conversation with Jesus and a very earnest very earnest, very, very heartfelt Jewish ruler named Nicodemus. Remember that story? It was this man of the Pharisees. His name is Nicodemus. He's a member of the ruling council. He comes to Jesus at night. He says, Rabbi, I know you're a teacher, just like the rich young ruler here. I know you've come from God, all right? No one could perform miracles like you do. And God wasn't with him. And then Jesus says to him, I'm going to tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Just boom, right in there. The ruler greets Jesus with gracious praise, with with accolades, if you will, in both cases. Jesus' response in both cases, not what they expected it to be, kind of seems a little bit off the wall. It's really jarring. It's really unanticipated by both men. It's a different kind of response, but, but unexpected by both men. And the reality is both men are lacking the spiritual understanding that they need to be able to see and hear 
what God is trying to say through his son Jesus. There's something for you and I to learn here, all right? These spiritual truths are not going to come through earthly efforts. You can be the best at your job, and that's not going to give you a revelation of Jesus Christ. You can gain an astronomical amount of wealth. That is not going to give you a revelation of Jesus Christ. You can have the most friends of anyone in this church on social media, and it is not going to give you a revelation of Jesus Christ. That revelation is not going to come from Twitter. It is not going to come from Instagram. It is, you're not going to listen to it on Spotify. All right? It, it just, folks, in, in my old southern vernacular, it ain't happening, baby. It, revelation comes from God. It comes down from heaven. And we have to be willing to look beyond our own abilities and our own strengths and our own strategies and our own devices to be able to receive what God has for us. See, Jesus just, he, he is not exchanging pleasantries with these two men. He, he is not entertaining anything here, all right? He is trying to move them. He is trying to shift them from a very dangerous place. And if you and I believe for one minute that we in our wealthiness have obtained something that gets us a platform or an entry with God, we are living in an equally dangerous place. So Jesus points out this young man's very sort of inadequate understanding of goodness. He asked the man about his, his, his own righteousness. He says, you know the commandments, you know, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your mother and father. And immediately the young man comes back. I know, I have kept these since I was a boy. What a boast. Probably true. He's probably lived in this sequestered sort of life in, in Phariseeism, and he's been raised up in this law, and he's had this daily checklist of do-nots and do's, and he's probably done them, and he can honestly boast here, this is what I've done, good ruler. I have done this not just recently, but I've done this for a long time, since I was a young boy. I've kept all of these commands. And, and that word kept there in, in the Greek, it, it really means that what he's saying to Jesus, I have continued to keep the law or the commandments from being broken. Like I've done, it's not just that I've kept doing them, but I've actually overfunctioned and I've worked beyond that to create a system or a culture where I prevent that from happening. In other words, I've put up systems around me so that I'm guaranteed that I'm not going to break the laws. I'm going to stick with it. In other words, I am so diligent, I am so vigilant about this that no one's going to question me. kept them all since I was a boy. And Jesus doesn't deny that. 
Jesus just looks at this young man and he says to him, you still lack one thing. In other words, that, that word for lack there, this is how Jesus just, I just love the way Jesus just goes to the heart of the matter. This guy's been talking superficial stuff and the do's and the don'ts and all of that. And Jesus, Jesus is like, really what he's saying is, I know that. I know you've done that. I know you've done all this stuff. But you ask me, what's the one thing you need to do? Here's the lack. Here's the deficiency. Here's the discrepancy here in your world, all right? This, there's an incompleteness, all right? And, and this young man sort of knows this in his heart or he wouldn't have come to Jesus in the first place. He knows something is not right, all right? And here's what you've got to understand and I've got to understand is that doing and doing and doing and doing will never fulfill you. This is why we create workaholics. This is why we create overfunctioning people is because we've got to do it and we've got to do it and we've got to do it. And every time we do it, it's like a, a sedative. It takes care of us for a little bit of time and then all of a sudden we're restless and unfulfilled again and so we've got to find something else to do so we feel like we're okay. This is why the message of Jesus to rest is so doggone hard for all of us. Because we think we got to do it. And so we keep on thinking we got to do it. So Jesus hears this young man and he says, you still lack one thing. This is the bombshell. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. But he doesn't stop there. Like that shook the guy. You better know that, that turned his world upside down right there. All right? But then he says, then, once you've done that, then come, follow me. So the first thing Jesus does is he lets this guy know. He, he he affirms the fact that he is in need. Yep, you're right. There's something lacking here. It's good that you came to me because there is something lacking. And so, so you, you need to present yourself, if you will. But this prescription that this guy was asking for, all right, this, this directive that he was looking for was not what he expected from Jesus, all right? You're deficient, but I want you to understand that to be what you need to be, you need to sell everything and give. Now, that word give means you apportion out of your resources for various parties or individuals where there is need. So Jesus isn't just saying, go sell it all and like turn it over to the temple. Jesus is actually saying to this man, I want you to realize where people are in the world around you. You see, we can get so caught up in our own little world that we've created, this rich, wealthy culture of our own that is mine. I go to Starbucks and have my $4.75 cup of coffee every morning. I sit there with my computer and I use their Wi-Fi. And my Apple Mac Pro is a good computer to have because I can do just about anything I want to. So I have a second office. I'm wearing my favorite pair of shoes that cost a lot of money that I bought on Amazon. I didn't even have to leave the house to get. All right. I've got my cell phone. Mine happens to be a 6 plus. It's big enough for old men to read, so I don't have any problems, all right? 
And so I'm going to sit there in the air conditioning. I'm going to look at all the people around me and make comparisons. But at the end of the day, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm pretty good. I got it. I got a good little world here. I got friends. If they happen to pop into Starbucks, they see me and they go, hey, look at you. How you doing? We should have coffee. <laughs> sit down. <laughs> but we're happy. And you know why we're happy? Because you got your world and I got my world. And if I want you to come into my world, I'll invite you. If you want me into your world, you invite me. If we find something better to do, we'll go do that. And we're all good. It's safe. It's very wealthy. It's very comfortable. It's very delightful. And we think it fulfills us until those moments when we feel a little bit of a anxiety and we look for something to do to make us better. He's saying, young man, I want you to go out there and I want you to see what's out there in the world because there are people who have needs. You've created this world of wealth and comfort and safety for you and at the expense of even knowing what is in front of you. Go and find these people and sell all of this wealth and proportion it out to each one as they have need and benefit them by the wealth that you have accumulated. Whoa. That was like a slap in the face of his 501. And Jesus is saying, I want you to see, I want you to understand. Because you see, you can't just find something else to do. You have to find my heart. And the heart of Jesus is for the lost and the poor and the disenfranchised and the needy, all right? And there's a, there's a lot of pressure coming in now because Jesus is saying, I don't want you to store up your treasure on this earth. I want you to get rid of this treasure that you have on the earth. This is an ironic kind of exchange that Jesus is talking about here. He is turning this guy's world upside down. Everything you've held on to that will save you, I'm telling you, get rid of it so that you can find what will save you. That means you're going to die so that you can live. And we don't like those kind of messages. This is why you can go in temples and cathedrals and, and mosques and all kinds of places around the world and you see names of benefactors. You can go in churches in America and you can look at a wall and there's a wall over there and it's a tree and every leaf has somebody's name on it because they gave a whole lot of money to build that building. There's so many people that have done this sort of thing. When I was growing up in a small town in Colquitt, Georgia, very, very small town, we had a Methodist church, we had a Baptist church, we had a Nazarene church. That was all we had. And we had a rich lady. And she had a lot of real estate. And she rented houses to people. And she used people. And she took advantage of people. But she was very wealthy. She was one of the few people in our community or anywhere around who actually drove a Cadillac. She drove a big car. And she wore strange clothes. You think I talk funny. You should have heard her. And of all things, her name was Ethel. Miss 
Nobody ever called her Ethel. She was Miss Ethel because she had a lot of money. And so the Methodist church caught on fire, and they lost their pipe organ. Only church in quite a ways have had one. And Miss Ethel came in and wrote the check out to put the new pipe organ in the Methodist church. And when she walked out the door, and this is the story all across the little community, when she walked out the door, she stopped. She turned around and she said, that'll get me my seat in heaven. Put her handbag on her arm and walked out and got in her Cadillac and drove away. Never in all of her life did she ever step foot inside of a church to worship God. But she bought her seat in heaven. You and I may not do it with money, but are there other ways that we think we've got it made? Have we tried to earn God's love in some way? Have we done something and thought, oh, that will please God, that'll, that'll earn me something? You can't earn it. That's what you've got to understand. To think that you can earn it is the greatest insult that you could ever bring forth before God Almighty because he has paid the absolute ultimate price for your eternal freedom. So let this treasure go in this earth. See, Jesus is not proposing that, that he buy anything or do anything glorious. You don't, have, you don't have to buy the organ. You don't have to put, put your name on, the, on the, the little block. You don't have to do any of this kind of stuff. You don't have to give anything. Have you ever noticed we don't preach about tithing in Life Church? We don't preach about giving. We give you opportunities to give to things, you know, like buying land out there or something like that. But to, to just ask you to write out a check for 10% of your income and say that's a good thing, that's a disservice to you when God has said, present your body a living sacrifice, your reasonable act of worship. Folks, you don't get by with 10%. It's 100% or nothing. It's everything. It's everything you are, everything you will be, everything you've had, everything you will have. It is all his because it's a matter of lordship. And so there's never supposed to be a day in your life where you wonder, is there something else I need to do? Because you didn't do anything to begin with to get the free and eternal salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Money corrupts. There's no doubt about that. But this really isn't just about money. This man is told to go and to sell his possessions, but he's told to understand the world he lives in and to see what is out there and to be a part of the solution. He's told to follow in the lordship of God Almighty, to live in the kingdom and to flourish there. See, Jesus says, go sell your possessions, but then he says, come, come. In other words, Jesus is saying, I don't want you over there. I don't want you down there. I want you to get up, and I want you to come. In other words, Jesus is saying the same thing to him. He said to the disciples, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He's saying, come and follow me. I'll make you a disciple. I want to tell you what. Every one of you have that call upon you. 
you and I are called to make disciples. You are never too busy. There is never too much out there for you to do, for you to say, I cannot be a disciple. He's saying, come, come, come with me. Not just come and be with me, but follow. In other words, be like me. This is what you need to do. Get rid of what is keeping you from being like me. That's step one today. And step two is now understand what it is to be like me and come and follow me. And then you'll be a disciple. And ultimately, you will make disciples. This thing of wealth, it corrupts us. It has a way of polluting us. It has a way of tempting us into compromise. It has a, a way of, of helping us lower our values. And we'll do that just to get wealth or to retain wealth. That's what First Timothy is all about. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There's stuff you, you, you didn't know was down there. Dan gave me some tomato plants. I have these tomato plants on, on, on my deck, and I got these buckets, and I'm putting tomato plants in it. If the garden fails, don't worry. I got you, okay? <laughs> I got so many tomato plants, it's ridiculous. All right. If they all come off, I, I don't know that there's enough recipes to take care of what I'm going to have, all right? Because I'm putting some, some elixir in them. I got on the Internet. I made it. I cooked it, all right? I'm pouring it in those tomatoes. They are going to flourish, all right? It's, it's going to be great. But here's the thing. I plant Dan's tomatoes, and all of a sudden, I notice there's some other things coming up with them. I didn't know they were down there. But they were. There were roots down there I didn't know about. And so now they're coming up, too. I've got to take those out. Because if I don't, it's going to mess with my tomatoes. What are you trying to say, Pastor? I'm trying to say that your heart is wicked and you cannot know it. You don't know what's down there. But Jesus will nudge you. Jesus will confront you. Jesus will tap you. Jesus will talk to you. Jesus will reveal things to you. And you will begin to see what is down there. And your responsibility is to get it out. So that you are more like Jesus. See, money alone is not what's being talked about here. Jesus is talking to this young man, and he's saying, hey, your possessions, those things that money will buy, all right, th th those accounterments of wealth, those, those things, if you will. For some of you, that might be a new car, a, 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 a new house, a, a membership to something or whatever, the right kind of clothing, all right? Another thing is status and influence. Money gets us that, all right? Wealth affords some kind of status. It will give you influence. If people know you have money, they'll ask you to be involved in certain things, all right? Um, power. Wealth is power. It always has been. It always will be. It, it buys influence, all right? There's things like community leadership, all right? There's family. It's amazing how many families break up over money above other things. My question to you is, how often have you been tempted in this life to compromise anything to get something and you knew that it would move you away from God and not towards God? Those temptations come. 
Why did Jesus' words upset this young man? And why do they upset us so much? I've heard people say this to me when we've talked about this particular passage in the past. And uh, they say, well, it doesn't mean that, that uh, you have to sell everything. No. It means you have to give up everything, even what you have. You can, you can have it, but you can't hold it tightly. You have to be able to let it go at any moment, at any time. Especially when Jesus says, I need that. See, what is yours is not yours, it is God's. So here's the question, do you feel possessive about what is yours? When I preach a sermon like this and I start talking about giving up things, are there things that come to your mind? Are there thoughts or dreams that you've been thinking about and you go, oh, shoot. (laughs) I wanted that car. I didn't want that car. I wanted this lifestyle. I didn't want that lifestyle. We we fear this kind of message and we fear the work of the Holy Spirit in this kind of message because we are afraid of being fully surrendered. We don't want to give up everything. We don't want to give up control. We don't want to give up ownership. We worked hard to get what we have. Yes, you did by the grace of God and His sovereign permission and trust when you start to look at what you have as a trust rather than an ownership, as a privilege rather than something guaranteed to you, it will change the way you are living. Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Luke 9. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Luke 17. Folks, this is not easy. What I'm saying to you today is not easy, and we've got to stop. I've got to stop talking to you right now. But I'm going to tell you something. He says to this young man, come, come by me. Here's what I want you to get at the end. I I can't put it up here like I did last week and get you to see all the the dynamics of how standing up and stooping down and all that was, was so powerful. in in that particular encounter with the adulterous woman. But I want you to understand something. I think Jesus Jesus confronts him. Like like Jesus gets gets into his heart, like right in there, you know. And there's there's this this dialogue, and, and there's all this exchange, and it's powerful, it's rich, and it's full of all kinds of stuff. But it's there at the end. It's there at the end when Jesus says there's this lack, there's this deficiency there in the heart that Jesus speaks to this man, and he is not condemning him. He is not judging him in the wrong way. Because I think when when Jesus says you need to sell everything, that's, that's hard. But Jesus comes right back and he says, come. There's so much love. There's so much love. In the word, come. Come. 
I just want you to be like me. I want you to be free. I don't want you to have to fight this battle. I don't want you to have to manage all that stuff, all that crap you've been carrying called wealth. I don't want you poisoned and toxic. I want you set free. Just come. Just get rid of it. Just lay it down. See, anything that keeps us from Jesus is a weight that holds us down. He's saying, I want you to be set free. I want you to let it go. And I just want you to come. And I just want you to follow me. Jesus talks about these rich people. He says, hey, it's harder for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. I know there's a couple of stories going around on the, on the internet, and they've been around for years. I heard some of them before there was ever an internet. It tells you how old I am. Okay, but they say things like, oh, well, that's, the, that's a, an entryway into the city. It's a small door, and camels were big, and people were, were uh, you know, sort of intimidated by the size of them. And so for them to go inside of the city and through the gates, they had to kneel down and they had to kind of crawl. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And there's nothing in history that supports it. You know what that is? Somebody said, well, let's, let's make everybody feel better. Let's make everybody feel good now. So we're just going to tell you, it's okay if you got wealth. It'll be all right. It won't be that hard. No, it's hard. It's hard. And you all have wealth. And don't look around the room and say, well, that one's got more than I do or that one's got less than me. Just admit it. You have wealth. You are a rich person and a free person in terms of your political government and all that kind of... You actually have the privilege of getting more wealth. No, no, no. You and I need to understand it is hard. And the disciples go, well, how can any of us get saved? And Jesus says, well, you can't. This is the, this is the sweetest piece. Because now it's off the rich young man, which, by the way, started to walk away sad. It's like, no. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he walks away. But then the disciples are like, well, who can get saved? If you're going to say something like that, can we get saved? And here's the comfort well, you can't save yourself, but what's impossible for you is possible for God. You know what he's saying? In just a little while, if I can finally get to Jerusalem, <laughs> I'm going to make it possible for everyone. And you can be saved. And you know what? When I do it, it's finished. It's finished and you'll never have to earn it again. That's the love of Jesus. Amen. Caleb. So the rich young ruler leaves Jesus disappointed, and it's because he really just wanted a ticket into heaven. He didn't understand what God was really offering him and what God really offers us. He, like us, this ruler was a part of a broken world, a world where you feel inadequate constantly, a world where you strive to prove yourself, to prove your worth. And that's a world that's the result of sin. We turned away from God and we chose our own way, thinking that pursuing what we thought was good for us was going to be enough, was going to bring joy, was going to bring purpose. And for thousands and thousands of years, people have been realizing that that leads to nothing. 
that there's disappointment in that, that a rich young ruler, he has wealth, he has power, and that's not enough for him. He wants more. He's looking for more. And we join him in that. We join him in yearning for more. And so this God who loves us offers us more than just a ticket to heaven, a ticket to these things that we think will satisfy us. He's offering us himself. God is offering us a relationship with himself, a place where we are accepted, a place where we are loved. And so in order to offer this, Christ, after these conversations, after encountering people in his physical body while he was on earth, endured the cross. He died, and the story doesn't end there because death is never a good ending. The story continues with Christ being risen from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. He is in heaven, and he's coming back. He's not just going to whisk us away to be spirits in the sky. He is coming back to redeem all that is broken in this world, to offer us fullness here, fullness in his presence, fullness in the goodness of creation. And that's what we have the opportunity to respond yes to. That is something that is worth giving up everything we think we want for. We have the opportunity to know this God, to be loved by this God, and to hope that he will come back and save us and save his world. Um, so if this is the first time you've heard this, you are invited to respond. God loves you, and he is asking you to respond to his love. And so our prayer team's going to come up, and they are people you can trust. They are people who care about you. They are people who want to know how they can pray for you and love you and be an extension of this love that God has for you. So they will come up. I will pray. Um, if you want to pray with them about what you've heard today or about anything else, please come up, and then the rest of you are quietly dismissed. So please pray with me. God, we thank you for who you are. You are good. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have not left us to figure out everything in life for ourselves, that you have come and that you are coming again. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to hold on to that good hope, that you would help us to surrender our lives to you, knowing that loving you and knowing you and being found whole in you is worth all of the sacrifices of the things of the world that leave us empty. We ask that you would guide us through this week, um, that we would have great joy in you, and that you would continue to teach us more about your goodness. We pray all these things in your awesome name. Amen. <laughs>